Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, folks, I do not know how long it's been for you, but I went and got some coffee, and Jonah had to take his bathroom break, and we are back with the second part of today's Jonah's Deep Dive. We kind of left off at a good spot for a break, and uh, we hope that you come back and join us for this segment. Um, when, you, when, you, when we're talking about eugenics, there are so many tangentials that if you don't understand or you haven't heard all these connectors between universities and individuals and financiers um, and time. I mean, eugenics is not anything new. It goes all the way back into the 1600s. It's a Plato. Um, and then if you jump all the way backwards, we have writings of Plato. <laughs> um, so it's not like this is a new concept. When, when Malthusian anti-humanism came up as part of a situation, he had the right concept because at the time, agricultural production and industrial production and all the things that he was seeing in his lifetime showed him that the population was dangerously close to a really bad situation. He did not take into consideration all the advancements that would be made over the next hundred years. And here's the real problem. We have eugenicists in charge of the finances, in charge of the hmm. industries. And they have not, they have gone to corporatism, which is a status quo. There is no advancement. Um, they do not like innovation because it, it takes control away from them. If they allowed advanced, true advancement and true in, inventiveness, what we would have is we would have a system that was much more productive, much less pollution orientated, much less petroleum orientated, much more beneficial to the people that, that, that partook of it, like healthier food and healthier living circumstances. But we would also have a, a surplus of almost anything. The, the growing systems, the, the, the difference between growing systems and agribusiness, for example, agribusiness destroys your food supply. Whereas growing systems give you good, clean, nutritional food. There's two completely different things here. They won't allow one to take over because it takes power away from the other. And it's an improvement over the other. And that's all tied into eugenics. Now, that being said, as an introduction, where are we at now, Jonah? Uh, are you like spying on my computer or something? Because you seem to line everything up. But real quick before we go there. <laughs> real quick before we go there. Um, have you ever heard of the um, NBAF? NBAF. No. NBAF in Lawrence, Kansas? Now, Lawrence, Kansas brings some things to mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, is BSL4 one of them? Yes. Lawrence, <laughs> Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas has one of the most dangerous BSL-4 laboratories ever operated in the United States. Well, it's not entirely operational yet from what I understand. It's called the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility. Yes. Now, what they did was Plum Island was too toxic or whatever, and that was in New York, so they had to move it somewhere. So they put it right in the center of America's food belt. Yes. So they're really, if if you think if you wonder why people believe that they're trying to kill everyone, 
That's going to be a pretty good reason. Well, yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence, <laughs> Kansas is, Lawrence, Kansas may have had a BSL-3 lab yeah. before. But, but, yeah, Lawrence, Kansas is, is a, uh, uh, a hub for biological information if you're dealing with biological outbreaks in other parts yeah. of the world. And then uh, the, the th- 100,000 cows last year that died? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting that it was right there in that area. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, too, we just had, uh, since you brought that up about agro and whatever, but you also touched on uh, what I'm going into very next, and this is hilarious because as I was looking into Epstein, this is another tangent just from uh, following up. Did you know that he held a conference, maybe two, on his island to t- discuss the greatest threats to the earth? Makes sense <laughs> to me. So from uh, yeah, glad. Well, I said it makes sense to me because he was already <laughs> into a lot of other things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, basically, uh, I found two articles, so I'm not sure if they're talking about the same one. But mm-hmm. it was December 9th through the 12th of 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, or 2011, I mean. Uh, so basically, it was called Coping with Future Catastrophes. And, and then, uh, so the co- conference brought together some of the best scientific minds in the country and focused on the need to identify greatest threats to Earth today. Such threats included bioterrorism, nuclear mm-hmm. cal- calamities or nuclear warfare, overpopulation, asteroid or meteor threats, supervolcanoes, mass tectonic earthquakes, mm-hmm. rogue self-replicating nanomachines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we can't control the machines that we've created. Uh, super yes. intelligent computers and high energy chain reactions. Makes sense to me. And... Uh, uh, we'll go through some of this. It has a whole list of people, that, so that's what I wanted to get into. But um. <clears throat> And if you think about that particular list right there, those are the things that I spent most of the 2000s researching. So. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a particularly uh, interesting quote from Marvin Minsky, who is a professor of electrical engineering at MIT. Again, too, electrical engineering, what's he have to do with about, like, you know, uh, human catastrophes, you know, maybe because of the power grid. But but he says, uh, to date, there are many governmental and non-governmental organizations such as CDC or the WHO that monitor potential global ca- catastrophes, but they tend to focus on one field of study. There is a need for an organization to oversee and collect data from all of these groups to prioritize looming disaster and to establish preventative me- uh, measures. So again, collecting data, data science, or databases. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, attending the conference is Lisa Martin Nowak, again, too. Yeah. Going back to Harvard. Um, Lawrence Krauss, the one who was the origins. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, what's the next one? I can't see it here, the name. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, Gregory Benfold, uh, so that he lists him. He's a professor of physics and astronomy. So again, like when you read these names, they're like, they're like the who's who. But at the same time, like, why are these people specifically talking about like bio and whatnot, right? None of them are qualified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, why? You know, we talked about this before, but with me, when you look at people who do physics and equations, yep. um, they can take multiple faceted problems, and it might take them a while on a, on many chalkboards. If you've ever seen the old movies, they had yep. sliding chalkboards. Yep. But it it might take them quite a while to come up with a chain of events and a formula. Um, you know, let's go back to the Mal- uh, Malthusian anti-humanism formula that Bill Gates had behind him when he was doing his uh, TED speech. Yep. Um, that formulation is an old one, but they have all kinds of new formulas that they have come up with that are risk assessment formulas. Yep. And and it would take somebody with with the IQ. I I don't even want to go IQ. Let's say the the, the calculation ability of a physicist to, to quantify these things. Now, where we get into trouble is who's paying for that quantification. <laughs> yeah, like um, the formula you're referring to, isn't it the limits to growth, which was paid for by the Club of Rome? Exactly. Exactly. And on top of that, um, 
if these people are so arrogant that they can believe that they can um like let's just talk about the the uh the people involved in the, you know any variable that could be thrown into so if they yeah. think they could actually account for the six billion people's actions mm-hmm. uh yeah that's a whole level of uh arrogance well, that, like <laughs> or solar activity yeah <laughs> Well, I just yeah. want to keep it, you know, again, too, I just want to keep it people so we have a, a well, yeah, base but, number, right? <laughs> but, but all these all these things that they throw out here, take it, take into account things that most people aren't aware of, yeah. like solar cycles and things like that. But they also use a lot of occulted information when they're doing this. And that's the reason why, quote unquote, it's so secret, you know, or. or um, Think about um, they complaining about CO two, but the plants have been greening because of all the CO two because plants live on CO two. Well, and the other thing people don't realize, <coughs> if we're going to bring that up, is we have planet deaths at about one sixty to one eighty parts per million, and we are at three thirty five average now, three thirty five to three eighty, um, and it has been going down. And they want to take it down even further. Um, if you do not understand the carbon-oxygen food cycle, um, if we drop to 160 to 180 parts, I mean, uh, greenhouse is a good example. Greenhouses yep. already have to pump carbon dioxide in to grow plants yep. because there's not enough naturally in the air. Well, if there's not yep. enough naturally in the air for greenhouses to function, uh, folks, um, <laughs> well th- well the other thing that uh a quick a quick tangent when when we we're going through this whole covid thing and they're like oh wear a mask wear a mask i'm like this is if you buy this you are dumb as fuck because let's be honest if you if you go outside and can't breathe the air outdoors you sure as fuck can't breathe it inside exactly, <laughs> exactly. you know my thing is is, is uh you look at all of this, and, and I'll go back to what I said in the first half of this one, is, is you have very, two very distinguished groups, uh, distinguishable groups, distinguishable, yeah, my tongue is not working this morning. You have two very easily identifiable groups, let's say it that way, um, in the eugenics movement. You have the one who is a nihilist, and there's an They are the ones that seem to be wanting to destroy everything. And the removal of CO2 from the air with scrubbers and other unnatural forms is going to kill plant life. There is no way for trees. There is no way for trees and the food that's grown in fields to survive at 160 or 180 parts per million. So there's zero carbon idea is literally the death of the planet. Oh, and they also remove it to create graphene oxide. Yeah, but you have the other group. who are specifically trying to control the genetic pool. Not wipe everybody out, control the genetic pool. Those are two completely different ideologies. Yeah, dumb and they are down. mixed. And they are mixed within this movement. So where are we going next, Jonah? <laughs> okay. Uh, so there's actually a second conference here again, too. Um, actually, real quick, um, when you're saying parts per million, I think we should point this out uh, again. The way I understand it is basically the way you measure the gases in the air it's like you would take a um, cube, mm-hmm. and I think it's like yard by yard or meter by meter by meter. Yes. And then you would find per million atoms in that um, how many are of each gas. Yes. So I just think we needed to point that out. But <clears throat> yeah. And so again, uh, there was a second conference by Epstein. There is <laughs> another doomsday conference. Uh, this one was actually in the UAE. And again, too, um, it's all the same uh, same people or whatever, right? Uh, and it kind of goes to the same, and again, and it goes into the same uh, philosophy or same um, saying there's a great need for an international organization to collect data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> data, you know, it's, data. It's interesting, too, that, that uh, um, Epstein had connections to Bloomberg and others who have huge data centers. Yep. Um, Epstein was also, we find out through other people, connected to the uh, huge data bank over in Salt Lake City. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously he was pushing for data collection at different points. 
So now when I was reading about when I found about uh, these conferences here, it reminded me of Julian Huxley and his book, New Bottles for New Wine. Yes. And I actually took three paragraphs from that book. I'm going to read through it real quick because it all ties in. Absolutely. Uh, so it was from the chapter. <laughs> so uh, bo- New Bottles for New Wine is a selection of um, works of Julian Huxley, who was mm-hmm. the first director of UNESCO. He's a transhumanist. <laughs> Uh, but he actually wrote this in, I think it's 1957. Yeah, there we go. It looks like 1957. The ideal solution would be the discovery of what laymen, to the annoyance of scientific and medical experts, persist in calling the pill. Something cheap and harmless, which when taken by mouth will temporarily prevent conception, either by preventing ovulation or perhaps by rendering the ovum unfertilizable. A number of promising substances are being investigated, including some extracts of plants used by the primitive people. But so far, nothing satisfactory has emerged. One substance turns out to be early bortificate or whatever, so abortion. Mm-hmm. Others it's have abortion unpleasant effect, effects. Abortion effective. Yeah, I, got no, 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 I can't speak that way. I got it. Abortion <laughs> effective. Um, that's being, for, for folks who listened to the first part, that is what was used in the tetanus shot sterilization program in Kenya. It was BHCG, which is an abortion effectant chemical. It'll, and unfortunately, using an abortion effectant drug allows women to get pregnant sometimes. And worst case scenario happens, they miscarry. And uh, I'm going to read through this next two paragraphs, uh, but I want you to pay special attention uh, when I get to it is no good because I want to, uh, but because um, we're going to dump back to that. But um, so, uh, okay. however, our knowledge of reproductive physiology on the one hand and of biochemistry on the other has been so enormously increased in the last few decades that I would bet heavily that a solution can be found. But we must work for it. It is no good relying on isolated or casual researches. A large-scale concerted program is necessary, as it was for the atom bomb. If we were, we were willing to devote to discovering how to control human pro- reproduction a tenth of the money and scientific brainpower that we did to discovering how to release atomic energy, I would prophesy that we would have the answer within 10 years, mm-hmm. certainly within a generation. <clears throat> but I must return to India. So again, uh, that was it. Um, <laughs> India's the next part is the, the, what's really important there. Now, I I always struggle on uh, really um, narrowing down what he's talking about because it's almost like um, you know, it depending on how you interpret that, it, it could also be saying that like, uh, oh well, the 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 atom bomb isn't necessarily as much as we need it to be. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Well, you know, with me, uh, knowing BHCG and some of these other chemicals that they've used in these trials, like in India and Africa, um, the problem with an abortion effectant drug is, 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 is exactly that. You can get pregnant, but it, it will cause you to abort the fetus, which means that you're going to have miscarriages. So you're going to have your labor pool of women dying from miscarriages. Yeah, um, like um, the gene therapy. Yeah, and that is completely well. That's what's happening now with with yep. with this gene therapy is whatever they have done is causing um, death, um, uh, inf- uh, what fetal mortality is what they call it, yep. um, uh, fetal mortality, miscarriages, and um, it's an abortion affecting because women can be pregnant up to three months and then terminate. Well, that is the absolute worst case scenario, and people will not accept that if they understood what it was happening. They would be infuriated because that that is literally every time that happens, it, it is a possible death of a female. Yep. Um, it is the worst case scenario for a female to get pregnant and then have early termination of that pregnancy, whether through fetal uh, death or through early miscarriage. Um, so, you know, that's where the BHCG in the tetanus shot program in Kenya came in. That was a tester program, and the same eugenicists were involved in that, by by the way. The same eugenicists, the same organizations, the same non-government agencies yep. um, were part of that. Um, and, and, and they're not paying any taxes, and they're stealing yes. your money to do it. Exactly. 
<laughs> but we're gonna get there. Uh, so again, uh, let's go ahead here. Uh, so um, I found this article. Um, uh, it's a post note, but it says well, I should clarify that both movements can be traced earlier than that. The closest reference to transhumanism as the current philosophical attitude can be found in Julian Huxley's transhumanism. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was actually from New Bottles for New Wine. I took a little bit part of that there, there. But I found that on um, just a research paper. So I just want to basically when he says uh, both uh, when he says both movements, he's talking about posthumanism mm -hmm. and transhumanism. So mm -hmm. still the same, but. Uh, for those listening, again, uh, this is from the uh, essay called Transhumanism. And you're really going to get an idea of how these people believe in themselves. So uh, Julian Huxley wrote, The new understanding of the universe has come about through the new knowledge amassed in the last hundred years by psychologists, biologists, and other scientists, by archaeologists, anthropologists, and historians. It has defined man's responsibility and destiny to be an agent for the rest of the world and job of realizing its inherent potentialities as fully as possible. It is as if man had suddenly appointed, uh, or sorry, had been suddenly appointed managing director of the biggest business of all, the business of evolution, appointed mm -hmm. without being asked if he wanted it and without proper warning and preparation. What is more, he can't refuse the job whether he wants to or not, whether he is conscious of what he is doing or not, whether he is conscious of what he is doing or not. Think about that. And, yeah. then, uh, and then it says uh, he is in point of fact, determining the future direction of evolution on this earth. Mm -hmm. that, is, is, that is his inescapable, uh, oh, wow, yeah. inescapably destiny. Oh, inescapable. That must have been a typo. An escape destiny, and the sooner he realizes it and starts believing it, the better for all concerned. Mm -hmm. So the level of arrogance. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and that, 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 that's, that's the best line, though, too. Whether he is conscious of what he is doing or not. Well, yeah, there's a lot of scientists that are working on these programs that have no idea what they are actually working on. <laughs> yeah. They're just being paid to do research, you know. It's their job. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually kind of pathetic when you think about it. Yeah. Well, what are you working on? Well, I got paid to do this, and well, what's it for? I got no idea. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, transhuman and posthuman. Yeah. What they are referring to mostly. Um, there's a really good guy uh, who does a technocracy. His name is Patrick Wood, you all, if you want to listen to some of the stuff that he's got out there. But um, what they're talking about is, is completely altering humanity and changing humanity in some, into something completely different, something, quote unquote, better in their minds. Um, Whether they're conscious of it or not. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately... A lot of the oligarchs that are involved in this think that a better humanity is a humanity that is strong, able to work, but unable to think whatsoever. And zero spirituality, no connection to anything beyond physical, material existence. Um, you know, th there was a speech and they, they tried to attribute it to uh, uh, Bill Gates, and that's not true. It was actually another researcher that did that presentation to the uh, Department of Defense where they had figured out how to target a certain part of the brain to eliminate the spiritual connection. <laughs> they were talking about getting rid of uh, religious uh, um, uh, uh, fanaticism. Yeah. And, well, and even... to... Go ahead. Well, and the idea was is that if you could get rid of the spiritual connection of people, you could control them better. And what I was going to say is, if you read uh, Jacques Attali, um, he actually specifically references uh, Martin Luther. Yes. And when people were taught how to read the uh, Bible, they realized it was nowhere near what they were um, preached to. You know what? I'm, uh, I exactly. Work. So, yeah, Jacques Attali actually wrote about that specifically in uh a brief history of the future. And that's where he also advises that like, we would not be allowed to have the Bible or whatnot. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about it is, is once you learn, once folks learn to read the Bible, 
and started breaking it down, they realized that what they had been told by the oligarchs within the church, which are still connected to the oligarchs within the other governments, it's all the same. Um, they realized that, wait a second, this ain't quite what you said it was. <laughs> yeah. And I will point That's, out. And so um, they lost control. I will point out, uh, New York Patriot, uh, my three-part series so far, Two-Faced Deception, um, uh, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, about how Constantine actually infiltrated the church and made it part of the Roman Empire, and not the other way around. Exactly. Uh, the yeah, Pope um, actually... Folks, <laughs> folks um, this Two-Faced presentation that he's done with the New York Patriot on, on occult rejects will tie quite well into what we're talking about here. Yeah. And uh, like, uh, put it this way, the Pope, the official uh, papal office title is Pontifex Maximus, which actually ties to Caesar, not Christianity. Yes. Well, it's not an accident <laughs> that the uh, Holy Roman Emperor for 480 years was a Habsburg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just pointing that out, folks. <laughs> Now, uh, getting back into it, um, so some more from Julian Huxley. Uh, so he, he had um, a manifesto with UNESCO, so again, United Nations, who yes. also preached Luciferianism. Uh, but UNESCO's its purpose and philosophy of 1946, he advocated scientific world humanism based on evolutionary biology. He saw culture as a higher stage of evolution, supplanting natural selection in human societies. He argued for quality over quantity as regards the uh, sorry as regards to the world's population and the human population size should be planned and controlled yes. at the same time he called for animal conservation he even maintained that unesco should begin to examine the eugenic problem while recognizing a, that a rad, radical eugenic policy was at the time unrealistic in terms of public attitudes yeah again um so huxley too we're gonna get into it here now who he was Obviously, Aldous Huxley, uh, Brave New World Brothers. Yes. His fa uh, grandfather uh, was T. H. Huxley Thomas. I think it was the name. Yes. That definitely ties right back to um, Galton and Darwin. Mm -hmm. So, I do believe that I've seen both that he is and is not related to Darwin himself. You know, I have seen both ways, and I could not verify one yep. one line or the other. Yep. But for all practical purposes, they do say that he is directly associated with Darwin. So, yep. Now, he was also the secretary of the Zoological Society of London, the mm -hmm. first director of UNESCO, the president of the British Eugenic Society, and also British Humanist Association. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> Won the Darwin Medal for, uh, from the Royal Society because, again, tying back to the Royal Society. Yes. He was also knighted the same year he won the award from the... Um, and in 1956, a special award from the Lasker Foundation in the category Planned Parenthood World Population. Mm. <laughs> so, in 1906, Huxley won a scholarship in zoology to... I can't even say that name. Whatever college. In 1909, he graduated the first class honors and spent the July at the International Gathering for the uh, uh, centenary of Darwin's birth, so like the 100 year. And that uh -huh. was at the University of Cambridge. Um, Huxley was awarded a, a scholarship to spend a year at Naples Marine Biological Station, where he developed an, his interest in developmental biology by investigating sea squirts and sea urchins. Mm -hmm. In 1910, he was appointed as demonstrator in the Department of Zoology and Comparative Anatomy at the University of Oxford. Wow. Now, what does any of that have to do with humanity? <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. I actually found this a really, a really interesting picture. I would uh, suggest if people wanted to actually take a look at it. Uh, this was actually pre uh, pre um, what it, prepared by, by a member of the Rockefeller Foundation, but it is... Uh, the, the, it's actually listed as the pedigree of the Galton Darwin Wedgwood family. Mm. So it's like a family tree, but they have like their pedigree. So it's like, you know, whatever. Talking yeah. about how they're outstanding characters. 
you know, it's really interesting too that a lot of the uh, a lot of this is is subverted by the the names that they give to the societies. So like, so like they instead of saying the eugenic society, they say the humanitarian society. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they hide. Well, um, instead of communism, now it's communitarianism. Yeah. So, um, now. I'm sure you know what I'm going into next, but um, most of our listeners may not. The Dodd Report. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the Dodd Report. Um, in 1954, Congress actually had a special congressional um, whatever on um, the, the uh, tax exempt uh, associations within America, tax exempt foundations. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Along the way, it kind of just got shut down, right? <laughs> yes. yes, it got it got buried. Yeah. And so the actual title was, um, so this is, a, so what I'm going to read from is the report of Norman Dodd, director mm-hmm. of research covering his direction of the staff of the Special Committee of the House of Representatives to the investigate tax-exempt foundations. Yes. And so at the start of it, he actually has this quote. It seems incredible that the trustees of typically American fortune created foundations should have permitted them to be used to finance ideas and practices incompatible with the fundamental concepts of our constitution. Yes. Yet there seems evidence that this may have occurred. I assume it is the purpose of the inquiry to gather and weigh the facts. <laughs> so that's all That's all really funny to me, but now of course it got shut down. Yeah, because immediately they discovered that that these these philanthropical organizations were working against the American culture and society. And the, don't every one of those um, horse that sit in Congress um, swear an oath to all the, to protect against all enemies, foreign and domestic? Mm-hmm. So every one of them is in uh, direct violation of that oath. But hey, yeah, <laughs> that's just <laughs> that's just time. And then um, now. At the front, there's also a quote uh, from a. This is funny. So this is one of the um, congressmen within. Uh, so, anyways, uh, he says, "The drive of the Rockefellers and their allies is to create a one-world government combining specific super, capital, super capitalism and communism under the same tent, all under mm-hmm. their control." Do I mean conspiracy? Yes, I do. I'm convinced there is such a plot, international in scope, generations old, in planning, and incredibly evil in intent. Yes, that, that was Larry P. McDonald. Yes, Congressman, Congressman killed in Korean Airlines 747 that was shot down by the Soviets. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so. interesting that he said that, and then 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 he accidentally got shot down by the Soviets. Yeah, and the Soviets are definitely funded by all these people, right? Too. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. um. Uh, anyone? Okay, I'm gonna go off on a little side tangent here. Um. Vladimir Putin works for um, what is called um, Henry Kister. Like this is obvious if you should look uh, line up the events, but again, I can't definitively verify it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first off, the USA through John Lewis admitted to rigging the uh, Russian elections in 1996, and again, Nelson played. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, so people who don't know, John Lewis is actually Time Magazine. And he's a CIA, a CIA operation. It always has been. Yeah. Um, so then, how how does Putin come to power? Yeltsin's a drunk. And then, um, yeah, Yeltsin's a drunk. So uh, Putin comes to power. Then let's go ahead. Uh, if you watch the Hunt for Red October, the movie, there's actually a Colonel Putin in there. Now, why do I bring that up? Steve Pachenik, you guys may have seen him on uh, Alex Jones show. But uh, Steve Pachenik was actually Henry Kissinger's deputy, uh, like he was actually his right-hand man in the State Department, Secretary of mm-hmm. State. Now, Steve Pachenik uh, also was a uh, ghostwriter or co-writer with Tom Clancy, so another yes. operation. Now, Tom Clancy wrote The Hunt for Red October, and then the name Putin appears in the movie. Is that coincidence? <laughs> so, again... <laughs> well, and, and the important thing for people to understand is, is that we're talking about a corporatist agenda 
that is universal. It has nothing to do with just the United States or just Europe or just China or just Russia. These people are so interconnected. And it goes back to what I said in one of my podcasts when I was talking about the bloodlines. Yep. I named all the families, and these families are the ones that are in control. You can talk about the Club of Rome. You can talk about the WEF and Davos and and Bilderberg and whatever. But then you go to the Committee of 300, and then you go to the 13 families. So if you think that any of these people are separate, um, you completely miss the interconnectedness of all these agencies and families and governments. And I will point out, and I've done this on uh, one of my pro- uh, shows with New York Patriot. They, where do you find Osiris's penis? You know, Rome, <laughs> Washington, London, and most people won't pay attention to it. Saint Petersburg, the home of Putin and Lenin. Yep. So again, and, and Vladimir Putin was also um, his grandfather was um, chef for Lenin and Stalin. Yeah. Well, now, so. folks, uh, uh, Osiris's penis is an obelisk, <laughs> just in case y'all needed clarification. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the same – and interestingly enough, the one that's in Washington, D.C., uh, there's a whole big thing about how they were mo- how they moved it. Yeah, and then they had to stop building it, and then uh, the Pope was involved too. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so it, you know, it, you've got four places in in the world where that thing has been erected. Um I love that erected. Yeah. Um, the D- DC, um, London. The Vatican, London has the original. Uh, yeah, London has the original, and we got DC, the Vatican, and Saint Petersburg in Russia. So that'll <laughs> show your four. That will show you your four uh, Egyptian-based groups. And, All right. and we're supposed to believe that um, Washington is at war with uh, Saint Petersburg. We're supposed to believe that. Yeah. <laughs> No, they're they're actually just killing off the, the males that would actually be strong enough to fight them. But yes. Uh, <laughs> so again, uh, basically, when they had the Reese, uh, and I highly recommend anyone who has not heard of the Reese Committee, you have to look into it. End of story. Um, now, the uh, I would say the the best one is um, G. Edward Griffin. Got yes. to interview Norman Dodd pretty much right before he passed away, and is all is on YouTube, easily found. Absolutely. Um, he gives a ton of information that was not included in any of the reports. But oh, again, yeah, G. Ask, Edward, G. Edward Griffin's interview with Dodd was an amazing uh, presentation. You can, I don't know if you'll find it on YouTube now, but you can definitely oh, find yeah, the full. I did it like I, I found it like last week when said to someone. Okay, well, I know I know that the full interview was on BitChute, so um, it's. Edward Dodd and G. Edward Griffin. No, Norman Dodd. Norman. Norman, I'm sorry. Norman <laughs> Dodd. And, I don't know why I combined the two of them. Norman Dodd being interviewed by G. Edward Griffin. And G. Edward Griffin has a lot of fantastic work out there, too, if you want yeah. to know things that were going on in the 60s and 70s and 80s in the United States. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to actually read some of this stuff here, um, actually verbatim because it's actually what was um, print, uh, produced by the congressional hearing so people can understand exactly how these uh, evil beings, these demons infiltrated and usurped education within America. Well, education still is training animals, but um, absolutely. <laughs> so it does say here, any action having as its purpose the alteration of either the principle or the form of the United States government by other than constitutional means is how they defined subversive for the report. So then uh, they proceeded to show that the Ford Foundation, mm-hmm. Rockefeller Foundation, Carnegie Endowment, were using funds excessively on the projects of Columbia, Harvard, Chicago University, University of California, in order to enable oligarchic collectivism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the purported deterioration in scholarship and the techniques of teaching, which lately has attracted the attention of the American public, has apparently been caused primarily by a premature effort to reduce our meager knowledge of social phenomena to the level of applied science. In addition, these studies seem to give of a response to our involvement in international affairs. Likewise, they seem to reveal that grants 
had been made by foundations, chiefly Carnegie and Rockefeller, which were used for uh, further this purpose by directing education in the United States towards an international viewpoint, discrediting traditions to which it formerly had been dedicated, training ind individuals and servicing agencies to render advice to the executive branch. <coughs> uh, sorry about that. Decreasing the dependency of education upon the resources of the local community and freeing it from many of the natural safeguards inherent in the American tradition, changing both school and college curricula to the point where they sometimes as denied the principles underlying the American way left, and financing experiments designed to determine the most effective which are means by which education could be pressed into service of political nature. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. This is literally basically, what they basically basically they are financing the subversion of knowledge and the American way in exchange for in exchange for a, a a population of people who will just go along with their communist and oligarchical or oligarchical agenda. <laughs> and then now, um, if people want to understand how much they are doing it. Uh, there's the Rockefeller archives. Yes. They actually, um, so the Rockefeller archives, if you type in like Rockefeller Foundation, Jim Crow, mm -hmm. <laughs> of course, bragging about Jim Crow, right? Um, yep. just to understand the amount of money, give me a second here, something's coming up. Um, what the on? Some stupid apps blocking what I was okay. doing here. Well, while you're doing that. Um, I want to point out that starting in the Reagan era, which would have been 1984, there was an open purge of professors and educators who were old school. They started and they, they, they would retire them early with full benefits to get them out of the system. And it continued right on through the Obama era. And it really picked up under the Bush two era. Trying to get people out of the education, especially the university system, who were old enough to remember World War II and Korea and Vietnam, and they wanted them out of the system so that they would not continue to actually impart knowledge to their students. And um, I'm, I'm going to pick it up here. So, so if people under, want to understand. Um, what kind of money they are throwing out. Uh, so when I say GEB, it's the General Education Board, which was started by um, John D. Rockefeller in 1904. Yes. Ultimately, the GEB would spend $325 million, roughly $28.4 billion in 2020 dollars between 1903-1964. And it included more than $60 million uh, the last year on African-American education. Which was in civil rights, you know, so they're actually destroying America. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, that's the highest number. I heard, I heard it was like 180 billion, but still. Uh, that's from Rockefeller archives. Yeah, that's that's just Rockefeller money. That's not including the other. No, it's just, it's it's a GEB, so that's all of them, right? That's General Education Board. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, but it's, that's from the Rockefeller website, so I assume the number's accurate, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of money now. If you think about how much change that you could buy with that kind of money. Yeah, and back then, like that kind of money back then, when the population is one eighth what it is today. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's huge. Now well, again, the other thing too, a lot of that, a lot of that money with the GEB was used to bribe local systems into adopting the GEB edicts. Yeah. Because or, hey, look, we got a grant for you. We'll give you we'll give you ten thousand dollars now. Ten thousand dollars in nineteen oh four, yeah, or nineteen twenty four. Ten thousand yeah. dollars could have built you a whole school and put everything you needed in it. Yeah, and if they weren't able to buy them off, uh, they would buy the people that um oh, like control the scholarship within the, like the field of study. And if they couldn't do that, yes. then they would just build a new school and then control it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, a lot of universities, a lot of universities in the South were destroyed by Rockefeller actually building and installing a full university 
in the same town to compete with it. Yeah, so he could control what the mind of those individuals was. And and he also and his university that he built was much 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 cheaper to attend yep. because he would give grants and they would give dispensation to poor poor people in order to get them to that university rather than the old one. No. And now getting back onto it. Um, so let, remember when I was reading Julian Huxley, Huxley and um, he was talking about India. So uh, here's here's something I found. Uh, Huxley spoke about the need to, of the government to overtake the task of reproducing or reducing population increase within India. Then in 1975, the World Bank head Robert McNamara remarked, "At long last, India is moving to effectively address its population problem." And then from uh, the Vox.com uh, article called "The Time of Vasectomy: How American Foundations Fueled a Terrible Atrocity in India." The Ford and Rockefeller Foundations funded population control programs that went horrifically awry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then, well, go ahead. Well, you know, here, here in the United States, the, the vasectomy program has been phytoestrogens and the pseudoestrogens in plastics and in food, and atrazine added to uh, agricultural products, and it has basically. Um, a chemical vasectomy on kids today. Oh, and what of uh, you know, like forcing every female on to estrogen, right? At uh, teenage. Yes. So again, too, it's it's all pretty funny. Now again, too. Um, now let's go ahead here next. Um, now in that article, they they what they do is they blame um Paul Ehrlich. You know him. Yes, Paul Ehrlich. <laughs> that's, so, a, that's a good one to research, though. So I'm going to read uh, through this real quick because this was uh, Vox.com, which is a leftist organization. Um, you know, what they uh, kind of met him. So it says, uh, the battle to feed all of humanity is over. Uh, so this is from the population bomb. that was published in 1968. Mm-hmm. The world simply had too many people already, and famines killing hundreds of millions. People would break out in the 1970s. Uh, he specifically forecast the New York Times uh, um, that 65 million Americans would starve, and by 2000, England would no, not exist. And uh, do you know what his education was? <laughs> Entomologist. Yeah. You know, I find it really interesting that all these people who are wanting to change humanity are veterinarians or, <laughs> yeah. or, or zoologists they're not they're not mds you know yeah we have a very famous one from pfizer right now who is a veterinarian yep <laughs> now i've never read population bomb but i have read jonas it, it is a very good book but it, it was based on technology and understanding of the 1960s yeah and I've read uh, Jonas Salk, uh, Survival of the Wisest. Have you ever read that one? Yes, yes that's a good book, too. <laughs> um, so the way uh, Jonas Salk comes to um, the conclusion that we have to, um, you know, depopulate, mm-hmm. is it was based on science on yeast and fruit flies yeah. in a controlled environment. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was yeast and, and fruit flies in a controlled environment. They had no opportunity for change. <laughs> no opportunity for innovation. <laughs> no opportunity for expansion. Um, and he said that because they couldn't survive, that humanity couldn't survive. Now, don't get me wrong. We're in a, we're in a limited um, – we don't have an infinite amount of resources. But if innovation and inventiveness and advancement was allowed rather than this corporatist agenda, agenda of status quo and no improvement because of control issues – um, we could advance so much further, and we could actually have better food than we've been able to grow over the last 50 years. But it goes back to the corporatist agenda, which is eugenics and transhumanism and posthumanism, um, and their desire to maintain complete control over everything using data. Okay. Um, this ties into so much of the other stuff that I have been working on for the last year. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, now here quickly, the Royal Society was actually funded. I found originally by the King of England in 1660. So they're all tied. They're all tied to that organization to it. Yep. So um, it, it's a number of roles promoting science and its benefits, recognizing uh, excellence in science, supporting outstanding science, providing scientific advice for policy, education, and public engagement. Yep. So again, too, this is all like going back to the royal families, like you said. Yeah. <clears throat> now, John D. Rockefeller was also, i uh, just going to put this out, John D. Rockefeller Jr. was also a member of the Royal Society, and he <laughs> attended London School of Economics, Fabian yes. Socialism. Yeah, there's another thing, another <laughs> tangent, Fabian Socialism. <laughs> yeah. Um, and have you ever and seen the, the... And the Fabian Society, by the yeah. way, folks. Yeah. Um, and the London School of Economics was actually created by the Fabian Socialism. Socialism. Yes. Now, have you ever seen the stained glass window? Yes. Uh, so people who haven't heard it, it's literally, um, it's uh, George Bernard Shaw is one of the people in the stained glass window because he is one of the higher up members. Yes. But it's um, him and another member who were actually working on a molten um, iron ball, which looks like the world. Mm-hmm. And it uh, the at top of the um, top of these stained glass windows says um, uh, I think it's mold the world to the, as you desire it or something like that. It's weird, something weird. And when it got re re when it got reintroduced or whatever and uh, reinstalled at the London School of Economics, Tony Blair was the one who actually presented it. Yes. Yeah. Um... The uh, Chicago uh, Business School was was funded by uh, was founded by the uh, Fabian Society as well. Yeah, and they actually found uh, they were the ones who created the um, Le- uh, Labor Party in the UK. Yep. <laughs> and yep. they're highly infiltrated in the whatever the other party in the UK. Oh yeah. And then, um, so anyone who tells you that we live in a capitalist society, no, that we don't. Um, no, you should look at. <laughs> they they look started. At, uh, very, very easy. Very easy proof is the Rockefellers and even later Kissinger said that the, the one of the things that they had to do was make war on capitalists and eliminate them from the equation. Yeah. And on top of that, anyone who believes that capitalism exists, you should go ahead and look at um, the list of attendees at the London School of Economics, which has only existed for about 100 years. Yep. Um, George Soros. Um, They're all communists. <laughs> well, Pierre, Pierre yeah. Trudeau. And, but uh, again, there's true, such not true communist either. It goes back to corporatism. Yeah. So you have to know the difference. That's 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 well, been a. I, I've been doing a show called Tuesdays with Patrick, and we've been discussing uh, the difference between communism and corporatism and and oligarchism. Yeah. Um, so, so this this actually this part of this conversation fits in with a lot of the stuff that I've been working on recently. Yeah. Um, so we have all these. Let's let's bring this all together so yeah. that we can, and then we'll do another. We're, folks, we're going to do as many as these as as Jonah wants because I really enjoy working with him. And in case you can't tell, we sync really well. Um, are you like are you like monitoring my computer because like this is the perfect time to break it. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you notice that he and I sync up really well. So let's tie this together. What we have is we have the eugenicists that are connected to these other organizations like the Fabian Society and yep. the Communist Party in the United States and Rockefeller uh, uh, philanthropical groups and the, yep. the Board of Education. Um, yeah, taking over education right from the start. <laughs> um, and and the, the medical associations. Yep. Um, establishment in China, a uh, hundred and... 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, so we have all these connections that tie all together with eugenics yep. and transhumanism. Um, we're not going to give away the end of the story, you all. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, for me, what I see is a platonic in- reintroduction in the 1600s. With the order, the science science order in England, that then converted into eugenics and uh, Malthusian anti-humanism. Is is that kind of where you see these connections? Oh, most definitely. Um, again, too. Um, now one thing uh, I haven't really touched on it yet because I'm just lining up who the people are. But 
everyone needs to realize, especially if you're living within the USA, these organizations that are being run by like Bill Gates, Obama, Clintons, um, Rockefeller, Ford, whatever, and there's hundreds, if not thousands of them. Yes. They're tax exempt, including the universities, also tax exempt, including the um, unions. They're tax exempt. And they also get paid back by the government while you're paying taxes to give the uh, so that the, the government can fulfill those people. Yes. But yeah, yeah that, that, we're getting to that later. But uh, it's well, kind of funny that, that that fits directly with the corporatism. Yep. You know, it's not about making a profit. It's about conducting a very specific task designated by the corporation. Which it's is about a brave in- new world. Exactly. All right, brother. Folks. <laughs> hey, before we do this, you picked the very perfect time because when we're coming back, we're going right to Plato. Sweet Plato. See? <laughs> See? He and I sync up so well. Now, Jonah, please, before we end this segment, yeah. let people know where they can find you. Um, right now, the best would probably be um, Instagram uh, or Twitter. I go by troublemaker.jonah on both if I'm not suspended or blocked. <laughs> now, before we leave, please tell them about the series that you're doing with New York Patriot and where they can find it. And I'll try yeah. to get a look to it. So um, they're, uh, within the, the New York Patriot, I started doing about um, – uh, Basically, when Pope Benedict died, I literally uh, did one with General Lee, actually, saying uh, Pope Benedict was a sacrifice to Janus. Um, so, again, and uh, after that, we did, like, three episodes, three uh, three, um, pro, uh, three visual pr- presentations with myself in uh, New York Patriot. Yes. And it's basically showing how uh, Constantine took over the church and built, built it in the vision of the Roman Empire. Exactly. And then the next one is uh, about um, what is the next one about? Um, I forget <laughs> what the second one was about. But basically, but it's all called uh, uh, Two Faced Deception, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. Two-faced oh yeah, this, the second one. Hang on, hang on. Two Faced Deception, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, and you're gonna find that at the Occult Rejects on YouTube. And, and the Fabian Society, their symbol is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes, <laughs> but uh, so um, I will get I will get a link to the first segment put into this description yeah. so that you can all find it. But I think it's really important because all these tangents and the more you research, the more you realize that this is a completely interconnected spider web. It's not separate things. Oh, and I'm going to bring this up because uh, one of the one of the people I know actually like it. Yeah, you're lining everything up. But well, w- what's next? Uh, and uh, my response was. That's your up to you. Exactly. Everyone has to. Uh, everyone has to be able. Uh, in the very least, you have to educate yourself and refuse to be a part of their system as much as possible. Exactly. But what I'm willing to do as a single male with no family and no ties to this planet might be different than someone who is actually repopulating, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, there are, and there are options, folks. There yep. are options. Um, that being said. I will put links in to uh, Jonah on Instagram and Twitter. I will put a link in here as soon as I find it to and, and real the first segment of two two faces wolves and sheep clothing on uh, Colt Rejects. And real quick, um, yes. the second episode is about how Janice or St. Peter is actually Janice. Just get to you know, forward. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that. And the third was actually about the Knights Templar yes. and how the Rothschilds are actually Knights Templars. They're not Jewish. Um, and you could see it in their shield coat of arms. Yep. Yep. Uh, good catch. See, I try to talk things like that, and people look at me like, huh? And I said, just look at their coat of arms. Come on now. Yep. Um, and the Rothschilds are directly connected to the Habsburgs, too, by the way. So and, uh, it's not like there's a separation. And it's kind of funny because, like, the Templars were the ones um, lending money to all the royal families. Exactly. Then they then they disappeared for like four hundred years. Then they come back and out of nowhere, they're just the, the only ones who can lend money to the royal families again. Well, and the other thing too to keep in mind is they were under the cover of the Holy Roman Empire that was loaning yep. money to monarchs. Yep. Anyway, that being said, you all, I hope you enjoy these two segments because I have a blast. He and I sync up in ways that are just—you heard him. Am I reading his computer? <laughs> <laughs> Jonah, I appreciate this. Are we going to do this again next week? 
Uh, you want to go on more now here? Yeah, man. Whoa, I was gonna say are we gonna post again next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you will have, when you post them, you post them, but we can. Uh, yeah, let's just open them. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm actually really gonna get these posted as quick as I can. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so uh, um, hopefully he and I can get back together again next Thursday and get another segment ready for you. Okay. Awesome. All right, brother. I appreciate you. Um, I will put the links in here for everybody. Thank you for spending time with us, y'all. If it wasn't for you all, it wouldn't do us any good to talk. I am going to quit recording now. <laughs>